Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we review the topic of secondary lymphoid tissue from the immunology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a brief introduction about secondary lymphoid tissue. Secondary lymphoid tissue has many important roles in immunity, including filtration and sampling of bodily fluids in order to detect infection, sequestration of pathogens and ingestion by innate immune cells, activation of adaptive immunity by antigen-presenting cells, and maintenance of immunological memory by storage of long-lived cells. Note that there are several types of secondary lymphoid tissue, including the spleen, the lymph nodes, and the mucosal lymphoid tissue. The spleen is a solid organ in the left upper quadrant of the abdomen. Lymph nodes are a diffuse network of small nodes throughout the body. And mucosal lymphoid tissue are patches of immunological tissue such as Waldeyer's ring consisting of tubular tonsils in the pharyngeal recess, palatine tonsils, and lingual tonsils at the base of the tongue. Note that the mucosal lymphoid tissue also consists of something called the Peyer's patches in the lower jejunum and the ileum. Now let's talk about the various secondary lymphoid tissue in more detail, starting with the spleen. The spleen is located in the left upper quadrant of the abdomen, where it is protected from the 9th to the 11th ribs, and it sits anterior to the left kidney. There are several components of the spleen, which are divided into the white pulp and the red pulp. The white pulp is the immunologically active part of the spleen and contains the germinal centers, periarteriolar lymphatic sheaths, and marginal zones. The germinal centers contain the activated B cells that are part of a larger B cell follicle. The periarteriolar lymphatic sheaths contain the T cells, and the marginal zones contain the macrophages and other antigen-presenting cells and the red pulp is the hematologically active part of the spleen, characterized by the arterioles, the resident macrophages, and the sinusoids. The arterioles allow for delivery of red blood cells, while the resident macrophages ingest the dying or abnormal RBCs and encapsulated bacteria. And the sinusoids, which have a fenestrated basement membrane, allow for RBCs to exit. Note that there are many clinical manifestations of asplenia, including increased susceptibility to infections by encapsulated bacteria, appearance of abnormal RBCs to form on peripheral blood smear, and other manifestations described more fully in the asplenia topic. Next, let's talk about lymph nodes. Lymph nodes are a diffused network of encapsulated lymphoid tissue that have many regional afferent lymphatic vessels. Lymph nodes also have at least one efferent lymphatic vessel. There are several components of a lymph node which are divided into the cortex, paracortex, and medulla. The cortex is the outermost layer of the lymph node and is composed of follicles, subcapsular macrophages, and dendritic cells. Follicles are composed of proliferating B cells that can be dormant and cell dense, which are called primary follicles, or active and pale, which are called secondary follicles. Secondary follicles have germinal centers where isotype switching occurs. Note that follicles can be underdeveloped in patients with X-linked agammaglobulinemia. And next, the subcapsular macrophages of the cortex monitor incoming lymph. And finally, the dendritic cells of the cortex serve as antigen-presenting cells. Let's now talk about the paracortex layer of the lymph node. This layer is an intermediate layer of the lymph node that is composed of high endothelial vessels, or HEVs, and T-cells. 
The high endothelial vessels are where lymphocytes enter lymph nodes. And the T cells of the paracortex await activation, meaning that this region is hypertrophied in infections triggering cellular immunity. This is also the region that is underdeveloped in patients with DeGeorge syndrome. And lastly, let's talk about the medulla. This is the innermost layer of the lymph node and is composed of cords and sinuses. The cords contain closely packed lymphocytes and plasma cells, whereas the sinuses drain into the efferent lymph vessels and house the reticular cells and the macrophages. Let's now talk about lymph node drainage pattern. We'll discuss the lymph node cluster and its respective drainage area. The first lymph node cluster are the cervical lymph nodes. The cervical lymph nodes have a drainage area in the head and in the neck. The second are the hilar lymph nodes. The hilar lymph nodes have a drainage area in the lungs. Next, the mediastinal lymph nodes have a drainage area in the trachea and in the esophagus. Next, the axillary lymph nodes have a drainage area in the upper limb, the breast, and the skin above the umbilicus. Next, the celiac lymph nodes have a drainage area in the liver, the stomach, the spleen, the pancreas, and the upper duodenum. Moving on to the superior mesenteric lymph nodes, these lymph nodes have a drainage area in the lower duodenum, the jejunum, the ileum, and the colon proximal to the splenic flexure. And looking at the inferior mesenteric lymph nodes, they have a drainage area in the colon between the splenic flexure and the upper rectum. And with respect to the internal iliac lymph nodes, these lymph nodes have a drainage area in the lower rectum, the anal canal proximal to the pectinate line, the bladder, the cervix, and the prostate. Moving on to paraaortic lymph nodes, these lymph nodes have a drainage area in the testes, the ovaries, the kidneys, and the uterus. And moving on to the superficial inguinal lymph nodes, these lymph nodes have a drainage area in the anal canal distal to the pectinate line, the skin below the umbilicus, the scrotum, and the vulva. And lastly, the popliteal lymph nodes, these have a drainage area in the dorsolateral foot and the posterior calf. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A five-year-old child presents to his primary care provider for recurrent sinopulmonary infections. The patient has a history notable for asymptomatic atrial and ventricular septal defects. The patient also complains of occasional muscle cramps and a, quote, prickly feeling in his hands and feet. His temperature is 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 110 over 75 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 100 per minute and respirations are 17 per minute. On physical examination, a cleft palate is observed. If this patient's lymph nodes were biopsied, which region would be most abnormal? 1. Cortex 2. Germinal center 3. Medulla 4. Paracortex or 5. Periarteriolar lymphatic sheaths And the correct answer choice is answer choice 4, paracortex. This patient has DeGeorge syndrome, also known as 22Q11.2 deletion syndrome, as evidenced by cardiac defects, such as his atrial and ventricular septal defects. 
symptomatic hypocalcemia seen through his muscle cramps and paresthesia of hands and feet, craniofacial abnormality, such as his cleft palate, and hypoplastic thymus, which probably caused his recurrent sinopulmonary infections. Thus, his T-cells are unable to properly mature, leading to lymph node paracortex underdevelopment. Remember, lymph nodes are secondary lymphoid tissues that have important roles in supplementing immunity. They are widely distributed across the body, and each lymph node is divided into three components, the cortex, the paracortex, and the medulla. The outermost layer is the cortex and contains antigen-presenting dendritic cells, subcapsular macrophages, and follicles with B cells. Deeper within the lymph node, the paracortex is the entry point of lymphocytes through high endothelial vessels and the location of T cells. Lastly, the medulla is composed of cords which contain lymphocytes and plasma cells and sinuses which drain into efferent lymph vessels. With infections, the paracortex normally becomes hypertrophied. However, with thymic hypoplasia, such as in DeGeorge syndrome, the paracortex is underdeveloped due to the lack of mature T cells. As a result, patients can present with recurrent viral and fungal infections. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, the cortex, does not contain T cells and thus would not be abnormal in DeGeorge syndrome. B-cell follicular hyperplasia can be seen in rheumatoid arthritis or early stages of HIV. Answer choice 2. Germinal centers are seen in secondary lymphoid follicles and are the location of B-cell differentiation and proliferation. Absent germinal centers are seen in hyper-IgM syndrome. Answer choice 3. The medulla would not be affected by DeGeorge syndrome. Sinus histiocyte hyperplasia or tissue-resident macrophages hyperplasia can be seen in lymph nodes draining inflammatory sites or cancerous tissues. And finally, answer choice 5, periarteriolar lymphatic sheaths or PALS are not found in lymph nodes but rather in the white pulp of the spleen. They surround central arterioles and house the spleen's supply of T-cells. In mononucleosis, splenomegaly is due to T-cell hyperplasia within the PALS. In summary, the paracortex is the entry point of lymphocytes and residents of lymph node T-cells and is underdeveloped in thymic hypoplasia, such as in DeGeorge syndrome. Next question. A 28-year-old woman presents to the clinic with fatigue and intermittent fevers for four months. She recently started graduate school and thought her symptoms were due to stress and lack of sleep. Even after decreasing her class load, there was minimal improvement. On examination, cervical lymphadenopathy is noted. Ultimately, a lymph node biopsy is obtained. The biopsy reveals enlargement of the layer of the lymph node containing high endothelial vessels. Which of the following cells are normally prominent in this area of the lymph node? 1. B cells 2. Macrophages 3. Neutrophils 4. Plasma cells or 5, T-cells. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 5, T-cells. The patient presents with fatigue, intermittent fevers, and a biopsy showing enlargement of the lymph node layer containing high endothelial vessels. These vessels are contained in the paracortex of the lymph node, where T-cells reside to await activation. Remember, the lymph nodes are a diffuse network of encapsulated lymphoid tissue. Every lymph node is divided into multiple regions that each have a chief function. 
The paracortex lies between the cortex and the medulla. It is a somewhat ill-defined region that predominantly contains T-cells as they await activation. This area also contains high endothelial vessels which allow lymphocytes to enter the lymph nodes. The paracortex can become hypertrophied with viral infections or is underdeveloped in patients with DeGeorge syndrome. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, B cells, are the dominant cell type of the cortex of the lymph node. The cortex is the outermost layer that is composed of follicles. These follicles are the site of B cell storage, differentiation, and proliferation. Answer choice 2, macrophages, reside in the medullary and subcapsular sinus of the lymph node. The sinus is the part of the lymph node that merges into efferent lymphatic vessels which carries lymph away from the lymph node. Answer choice 3. Neutrophils do not primarily reside in the lymph nodes. They can migrate to the lymph node when stimulated by certain infections. And finally, answer choice 4. Plasma cells predominantly reside in the medullary cords of the lymph node. This is the innermost layer of the lymph node. In summary, the paracortex of the lymph node is an intermediate layer composed of high endothelial veins where there are T-cells that are awaiting activation. And that's all for this review about secondary lymphoid tissue. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these podcasts right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullet Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. <laughs>